Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Men in Blazers ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. Price Picks is the easiest and most exciting way to get in on the action. Whether you watch your favorite sports and players, pick more, pick less. It's that easy. Download the app today. Use code MIB for a first deposit match of up to $100. New game day shirt. Boom, cash back. Food for the tailgate. Boom, cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking the W. But you know what's a guaranteed win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees? Period. I'm telling you, this one is a real game changer. Check out transaction, eligibility, and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank. Member. FDIC. You're listening to the Men in Blazers Media Network, Suboptimal Radio. I don't know we are you know, responsible for Stephen Gerrard's library. You know, in that situation in Anfield, I didn't want it for respect for, for Stephen Gerrard, but it's our fault. From the Men in Blazers studios in the crap part of Soho, and the crap part of Bedford, New York. It's the Men and Blazers podcast, Rog. We back. Like Andy Reid, Davo, we all know that the real Super Bowl is tonight with Darwin Nunez in the Jalen Hurts role and Neil Mope, please, Lord, in that of Patrick Mahomes. But how are you doing, mate? Well, you've never been happier for a podcast that happens before Everton play a game. I'm not sure that they've ever... I think we've done podcasts before when Everton haven't played on the Monday, but never, I don't think a Merseyside derby, this would be a brand new one. We should delve very quickly into the Super Bowl because, my Lord, I think everyone's saying in the world of sports universally agreed that that field in Arizona... Was it perhaps the most conquer thing that ever conquer <laughs> Yes, the sod father. How old is he? About 126 right now. So and, he claims. Uh, yeah, people are being very critical. He looks like he's like <laughs> Tim Ream's age. That's... Yeah, he, 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 he looks around is. Stephen Warnock's age. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the field perhaps a little soggy. Rog, not the mud that we that we we grew up watching first division elite football on as uh, as kids and teenagers, but it was uh, yeah, it wasn't perfect. I think all the Super Bowl needed was a few stray white plastic lawn chairs on the side of the field, and perhaps yeah. the the stain of a a, a grown over half grown over cricket wicket inexplicably burnt into the length of the centre circle. It could have been the Gold Cup. I guess what was rather concafy, some odd decisions. Some VAR controversy. It had uh, it had everything that game. I didn't like the end of the game. I do want to say this. Didn't feel like a proper competitive way to settle an elite sporting tete-a-tete. I think, and I, again, I believe I speak for everybody in the sporting world when I say this. This is universally known. It's, they should do it like in a real sport where they've developed a rational, completely fair way that no one complains about at all to end that kind of a close game, just do a penalty shootout. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but just just don't have Gronk involved in that penalty shootout. That would be the uh, that would be the reality. I don't know what that was. I mean, I don't know. God, the way they pretended that was live was just 
Oh, chef's kiss. Can we give a shout out to also to Mrs. Kelsey, who is essentially what I believe Mrs. Aronson will be when Brendan and Paxton are on opposite <laughs> sides of the, of the Champions League final. Yeah, now surely they'll both be playing for Leeds, Rog. Um, yeah, no, it is pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing work by Mrs. Kelsey. I, I do expect to see a Kelsey um, pop up in the Premier League at some point, or at least in the Dutch Eredivisie. Yeah, I think that Mrs. Kelsey is essentially American mother, are you? <laughs> OK, Rog, before we get to the football, a massive week at Men in Blazers World Headquarters because we are just one sleep away from the restart of the UEFA Champions League and your European Nights podcast presented by the GFOPs at Paramount+. Plus. That's right, tomorrow you and your mate Rory Smith will be back together to celebrate the clashes, the culture and the culinary delights of the world's biggest <laughs> club competition. We can't wait for that, Roger. Oh, I am so excited to take this episode, Devo, in which we'll go deep on Pep's H&R block reps and Todd Burley's Venmo plus PSG <laughs> and Barcelona. Heard of them? A ton happening, and it is so bloody good to be back. Yep, talking good to be back. Thursday, you've got another episode of American States United presented by ESPN Plus with none other than Daryl DK. A really human conversation in which Double D describes the mental toll of returning from injury and what that feels like, the experience of it, the toll it takes, especially when you are thousands of miles from home in West Bromwich of all places, Devo, <laughs> and living through the awful reality of missing a World Cup that you really believe you should be at or been there. To be, to be fair, any part of Bromwich, it could be East Bromwich, <laughs> North or South Bromwich, Southeast Bromwich, it would still be bizarre. Dave, I don't uh, think you, I don't think you want to get into a ruckus with them with the mods of North Bromwich. <laughs> uh, look for that podcast on our feed on Thursday. We're also cooking up a version for the Men in Blazers YouTube channel, also on that platform, uh, the YouTube platform. An interview with Norway's best and one mixtape footballer, Martin Odegaard. Another massive week on the YouTube front. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe to that. Roger, would you get us underway today with a twist? Yes, God, I thought you'd never ask. I want to raise this third thirst bud of the day to the Canadian women's football team ahead of the She Believes tournament. Um, they went on strike over pay equity issues and budget cuts to the team's training camps, uh, as well as a number of players and staff invited. That's been cut. Uh, the diminishment of the investment in youth infrastructure across the board in their women's programme. And the players were then forced back to work. This is all almost unbelievable. Forced back to work by their sports governing body, Canada Soccer. And iconic striker, Christine Sinclair, went on Canadian Sports Centre, which I do notice is spelt the right way, centre with an <laughs> RE at the end. And she said, until this is resolved, I cannot represent this association. And Canada Soccer said they respect their players' right to organise but the players were not in a legal strike position in Ontario labor law. So they don't really respect their players' right to organize at all. All I can say is anyone I speak to north of the border, as their game is exploding in the most remarkable way, in the way so many Canadian fans have always dreamt of, Canada soccer is described to me as an organization that makes US soccer seem almost functional in comparison. And the optics of this taking on your own players, sorry, taking on your own gold medal winning Olympic players like that. I just say, I'm not a lawyer, 
but there's no conceivable way that this can lead to anything but a massive, <laughs> massive L. Come on, Canada Soccer, support the women. Well, wow, what is it about <laughs> soccer federations, Rog? Whether they be national or sort of supra-regional or supra-international, they, they never quite get it right. Yes, they are. As you said, what Gronk is to field goals. <laughs> <laughs> or live field goals. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay, Rog, let's get to the football. What an action-packed weekend. It already has been before the Merseyside derby uh, this afternoon. Uh, Man City 3, Aston Villa 1 in their first home game. Since being charged with the FFP violations, Man City needed all of four minutes to remind the league what kind of thrashing machine they've assembled. The first goal, a towering near-post Rodri header from a corner kick. They doubled the lead on 39 minutes with Erling Haaland in the KDB role, slinging a ball across the face of goal for Gundogan to slot home. And a Jack Grealish-earned Riyad Mahrez penalty killed it off. Villa's Ollie Watkins pulled one back in the 61st minute, but this one was all team creative accounting. <laughs> Oh, a game of football, finally, after a week in which Pep Guardiola emerged onto the field of play. A bit like how I imagine Aaron Rodgers will stumble out of a four-day darkness retreat. Let's run it back <laughs> to Friday's news conference extraordinaire, in which Pep was defiant, dismissive, uh, played the victim at times. Most craftily of all, tried to paint the, remember, over a hundred alleged breaches of financial regulations, accused by whom? By their own league. Um, he said, you know, other teams are conspiring against us, tried to blur these new fresh accusations with the UEFA charges. My first thought is, we've already been condemned, as happened with UEFA, Guardiola said. We had accusations, the club proved we were completely innocent. Won't be clear, City were not proved completely innocent of the UEFA charges. The charges were not dismissed. They were just let go on the ground that some of UEFA's claims were, quote, time-barred. You know, this was essentially siege mentality. This was possibly the most circled wagons in circle wagoning history. This was Jose Mourinho tactics times a thousand. Pep one point quoted Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar said in this world, there are not enemies or friends. There are just interests. He accused the other 19 teams of conspiring against him. He asked, who will pay damages if City are found innocent? There were even swipes at Steven Gerrard slipping. Was that our fault, he said? I mean, Gent sounded like a bloke prepared to grab every third rail, Davo, to burn everything down. There's no doubt at all that he is all in on whatever's going on at City. There will be no separating Pep from the project. Paranoid Pep, to me, is the most terrifying Pep from a human perspective. I both fear for him and honestly, Fear him in equal measure. But this is this is some comms strategy, Davo. Tempting to paint your hyper-rich, peerlessly invested in club, owned by a nation state, one of the richest funds in the world, as a as a persecuted underdog. Yeah, I mean, he has also uh, said, Roger, that if, if he's been lied to by uh, his bosses at Man City, he will resign. Um, I think we're pretty clear that he's been lied to by his bosses at City. Um, so he, was, he might have backed himself into a yeah, corner with that this. one. He knows this. He knows this. I totally agree with everything you've said. And yet, I'm going to defend Pep in this one major way. Please. It is, it is difficult, I think, for all of these managers. And the same thing, remember we talked about Tuchel when, you know, um, 
you know, the government uh, and the league were taking action against Roman Abramovich and Tuchel was set out to be the only one speaking for the club about everything that was going on. In this case, that Pep is the one who is the manager of the football team, that he's the one who has to go out and face the press about it rather than anyone else at Man City. And he's the one who has to sort of stand up and, you know, feels like he's in a wage battle for the fans and for the players for that respect. It's just difficult when you have a football man who probably, let's face it, does not understand all of these issues. You know, it's very clear from reading a lot about it this weekend, a lot of the journalists involved don't understand a lot of the issues here. There are some notable exceptions. When has not understanding the issues ever stopped us from coming out swinging, David? <laughs> I'm not talking about you. In this case, I actually think you do understand the issues. Actually, in many cases, you understand the issues, Rog. But I just think that... It is just sad for Pep that he's the one that has to go out there and defend something that he probably had nothing to do with. Resurrecting Tuchel is actually an interesting point. What we admired about Tuchel in that moment was how human he was, how seemingly honest he was. He admitted how difficult this moment was. He admitted how painful it was. Pep did none of that. You know, Pep yeah. essentially just bedded himself with his paymasters in a way that made it very clear that whatever was going on, um, for reasons that we still do not know. He is going to go down swinging with them. And look, it's a pretty common rumour around football you know, of people doing commercial deals with Manchester City, travelling over to Abu Dhabi, visiting offices that have no receptionists or, or evidence staff, empty buildings <laughs> in which they, they go and sign a contract in a property that is apparently only in existence for legal reasons as a kind of shell uh -huh. company. You know, welcome to the whatever the bank of uh, of Etty Dubai. Um, it, 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 it's like put it this way: the Premier League, or uh, you've got to ask yourself this: Would the Premier League be taking on one of its own, the crown jewel uh, of its empire, if it had any vague chance uh, uh, of anything other than quite a strong slash very strong case? And watching Pep foam and accuse and misrepresent, which he did on Friday quite archly almost like a mad king. David, to me, to answer your question, he is either complicit in all that's gone on or he sees the footballing project that he's devoted the prime of his career is about to be sullied and stigmatised. And for that reason, he's kind of coming out swinging. But either way, he's given himself no wriggle room here. Yeah, that's very true. And it could also be both of those things, Roger, um, in some combination. It doesn't have to be that black or white. It could be grey. Um, and Pep does seem to be getting greyer by the moment as this goes on. Take it from someone who knows. Maybe Pep's Kaiser Suze. There was something else Pep said on Friday, and I found it particularly resonant as he, he mused about the great highlights of his city time. You know, these moments belong to us. They absolutely belong to us, he said, which was almost like an Arthur Miller line that Willie Loman would utter. Um, and I actually asked this on Friday's WGFOP, and I love your, your ruling on this almost. Some of the City moments are footballingly indelible. Aguero's goal, you know, the, 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 the play, which I believe really changed the, the tactical acumen of the entire Premier League of David Silva. You know, Yaya Toure and his enormous, unstoppable buttocks. Vincent Company, what a leader and more. Those are burnt so brightly into our emotional psyche. And for City fans, both in Manchester, around the world and, 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 and across the United States, these are memories that have been shared with friends, with family, 
with loved ones, do they become tarnished? Do they become dimmed or sullied? Or will they still carry their meaning, whatever happens in the legal case? I mean, I think a lot of opposing Premier League fans are, of course, going to say that they're all sullied. They're going to put an asterisk next to everything that's happened over the last few years. But I think for City fans and a lot of other observers, I'll tell you even this, as a Chelsea fan, you know, don't quite burn as blue as I once did. Um, but that's what, you know, modern football has done to me. Um, it's... I understand. I have no doubt that City broke every single one of these rules and every single one of these regulations. But I suppose what I struggle with is the extent to which almost every other Premier League club has to some extent broken these same rules and regulations. Maybe not to the extent that City has, maybe not in such a blatant way. But it's just very tough for me to see the other 19 clubs in the Premier League stand there and take the moral high ground when a lot of what they're accusing Man City of, they're complicit in. Absolutely. And some more than others. City's only crime was being better at breaking <laughs> better the rules. At it. Than yeah. Any other. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. There is a football game to discuss and the Manchester City bus arrived as their own fans chanted, City's going down with a billion in the bank. City fans, then, this is, this is really remarkable. All of this is just like inverted, inverse of an inverse of an inverse. This is like so surreal, just the buckling of, of value and fandom and worldview here. Um, they have filled a banner, which... I don't know how it works, but I'd love to an English journalist to find out who paid for that banner. Was it the club? Did a club have to sign up on it? Did the fans really pay for this with their own money? Because it is insane. Um, a banner panic in the streets of London celebrating the club's new lead lawyer, Lord Panic, said to me uh, by the English tabloids on $90,000 per day, who will defend the club against the Premier League's charges. Just... I mean, an astonishing moment where football fans are like, hey, we got the most expensive lawyer. We're lawyered up, David. We're more lawyered up than you. It's just crazy, right? Well, the low point for me, Rog, was the low yeah. point. Because, you know, look, I give fans a lot of leeway, a lot of, you know, place to express themselves, even when they express themselves in sort of an unruly or uncouth or even sometimes sort of a threatening violence way. But when you boo the Premier League anthem, Rog, when you boo the Premier League anthem, it's a line. The anthem it's a line, right? That it's holds, a line. The anthem that holds the entire construct of the pyramid together. Oh, what is there left to play for? Yeah, I agree. There's a line, and that for me, Graham, is just over it. You know, it's um, it is just. I mean, booing the Premier League music, and then suddenly Pep arrived on the field, and the, the whole crowd just flipped from booing to just raucous cheering. And I was like, oh my god, Manchester City's. Utter complete heel turn now truly complete. And you've got to think, like, from a perspective of Abu Dhabi, are they like, this is great, we're all with us together? Or are they like, oh my God, we have spent billions to essentially build Millwall on steroids. It's just full on, no one likes us, and we don't care. Do you think they're pleased, or are they like, oh God, we've really built a turd here, a very expensive turd? It did bring a certain atmosphere to the Etihad, which is often absent. Uh, and I'm sure that Mikel Arteta must be sort of like condemning his own, uh, his own resident Kroenke uh, for being involved in the Premier League attack on Manchester City to give them a sort of that locker room fire uh, that they really need at this point of the season. Yeah, yeah. Mikel Delaney tweeted, and I think it's really fascinating, an emirate like Abu Dhabi are essentially weaponising 
and rallying people's profound lifelong footballing support in this moment for their own cause. It is an astonishingly complex meshing of football fandom, culture, English terrorist culture and geopolitical 4D chess. It is an insane moment that needs to be picked apart at so many levels. All I know for sure is that Todd Burley's coming in for Lord Panic Pronto with a with an incredible bid. But to the football, Man City had won their last 12 in a row against Aston Villa at home. That was kind of the context. This was never really in doubt. De Bruyne and Gundogan restored to the side. Diaz and Laporte across the bat line. Old friends reunited. Um, Grealish unleashed against his former lovers. Um, and GFOP style expert Patricia Lee, who is just, I don't know how she does it, but is constantly emailing us analysis of football at just next level ways in the way it should be. She noticed that Pep for this one brought back the Hoodigan and not the D squared one either. She told me it was a $1,500 Herno, David. That's a lot of Hoodigan. That's a lot of Herno. Some high end Hoodigan. And the Tusker ham was clear. Win this and then beat Arsenal this coming Wednesday and City will be back top of the table. And let's say a truly feeble Villa in this game. They held out for longer than we imagined. Four minutes off a corner, terrible marking. Rodri lost his man with ease, flicked home from the near post. Glory, just the, the celebrations, anger coming out, relief. F them all, Villa back line. Really about us together as Megan Fox and Machine Gun Kelly by this time. 39th minute error by Callum Chambers. Game over. KDB sprang Harlan, who went wide. Turn creator. Stunning pass, really, to set Gundawan up. And, God, you just thought immediately it was like bellowing. Bring on Wednesday as Riyad Mahrez made it 3-0 from the spot. The one blemish on the day. Um, Harlan off at half time with a kick to the thigh. But, David, this was the city footballingly that we're used to, the speed of mind and passing, not the one we've seen in recent times. They essentially did to Emi Martinez what he did to that World Cup Golden Glove, right? Yeah, the expansiveness of their play, um, the ambition of their play throughout the game, the the way they linked up, and everything they did was just just superb. Against, the, you know, Aston Villa looked overawed. They were punched out early by that Rodri goal. Um but yeah, this was a walk in the park for Man City and they were jubilant. Yeah, God, I think they realised they were sending a signal to all the League Two sides that they're going to play next season. Just wait to see what we're going to do to you. Crew Alexander, be very afraid, be very afraid when City are flung to the basement of football. But victory on the day for Pep Guardiola in his 250th Premier League match. Win rate, this is astonishing, 73.6%. No asterisk yet. The highest of any permanent manager in the competition's history is essentially Catalan Sean Deitch. Three points now <laughs> behind Arsenal. Wednesday night, massive, massive tilt to come. If City, and it's so conceivable, do win the title this season, you know, it's going to possibly be level on points, superior goal difference if they win on Wednesday. How much of an embarrassment would this be for the Premier League? Just a surreal moment in which City would lift a trophy of a governing body that is charging them with massive fraud that they do not respect, that they feel is out to get them. Is this the moment when football truly jumps the shark? Well, I mean, it's sort of, if it weren't so recognisable across all of sport, it's kind of like Novak Djokovic, you know, winning the Australian Open after his blatant uh, disregard and at war with the authorities. It's just a, uh, 
Look, it's football. This is the script writers, Rog. It couldn't be a better script as we go into the as we go into the final months of the season. Um, I'm sure you know the, there'll be continuing booing of the anthem, booing of the trophy, booing of you know if you if you start to boo the Premier League lion, whoa, then the lion has been it's even further behind. Excommunication. Yes, but um, yes, this is what might this may be the <laughs> making of Manchester City in terms of their energy as a football club to their presumed. Uh, title contenders all the way to the wire, Rog. Arsenal won, Brentford won. The home side hit first in the 66th minute with a well-worked move down the right that saw Bukayo Saka sling one across to Leandro Trossard, who punched it into the empty net for his first club goal in an Arsenal shirt. But talking of shirts, the baby blue clad bees fought back in the 74th minute after a game of header tennis. The ball broke to who else? Ivan Tony, who nodded home the equaliser. And that's how it ended. League leaders Arsenal dropped points for the second straight game and oh. third time in five. Arsenal once more into the breach, dear friends. Once more, Arteta's heavy leg squad after soiling cells against previously feckless Everton hosted Brentford, who I think were probably last on the list of teams you want to meet to have to assert yourself. Thomas Frank's always awkward to handle bees. No second season syndrome from them. They're one of only two teams to remain unbeaten since the World Cup. They're essentially, <laughs> on this day, they're like Everton, but good. And it was hammer and tongs from the off. Open, chances made, chances not taken. Brentford weathering Arsenal's early storm, then foraging in transition. And Bumo and Tony carving Arsenal apart and thrashing the bar. Half-time, Arsenal frustrated. They'd had all of the ball, but Brentford had had the finer chances. And it all felt like a true moment of mental challenges in the crucible that is the title race. The Gunners came out second half attempting to enforce themselves, but it was tired. It was fragmented. The best chance in that first hour was drilled by Tony, who could have had a hat trick on another day. Yeah. The doomsdayers started to talk about the pressure of the title race cracking them, but then on came Trossard. David, does he not look like he's been playing for Arsenal for ages? Yeah, I can't even remember him wearing any other shirt, Rog. He just looks superb. And it just felt within seconds of his entry, uh, he changed the entire game. Yeah, he scored against Brentford, home and away for Brighton last season. And within four minutes, Saka played the ball across the face of goal. He swooped in to make a difficult finish look so bloody easy. The ball was thrashed to him at speed, difficult to control. No bother for the tiny Belgium up from a logical obsessive. And it felt like a massive moment in the title race. But Brentford, my God, are resilient creatures. Free kick, head tennis, kept alive. And Norgard poked it past a flailing Ramsdale for Tony to drop it home. And in a lovely gesture, lifting up a shirt in honour of Sergi Canos, yeah. whose mother passed away this week. But Davo, as we were soon to find out in a weekend, probably VAR's worst weekend ever, goal should never have stood. That's really saying something, that this was VAR's worst weekend ever. And the problem with VAR, the problem for the robots, is that those damn humans get involved with it. And they forget, they forget to draw the lines in the right place. I mean, look, the one thing I would say is, um, you know, and not in defence of the referees, but in defence of the you know, in, in sort of the chaos of football or the, or, or the chaos of the moment. I've watched that goal seven times and I can't quite figure out what happened. It was that 
odd game of head tennis that went on in the area. And I can imagine in the moment, nobody could really tell whether it was onside or offside. You would think, though, that the humans working with the robots at VAR, at Bletchley Park or Stokely Park or wherever it is, could probably figure it out. It's a um, place where Bletchley Park, where humans <laughs> and robots are for wins. Yeah. I, I don't, God, the referee body PGMRL had to step in the next day and admit this is super complicated. They said there was human error. The line, as you hint, Davo, was not drawn by Lee Mason, uh, who took an age to the side that Pinnett wasn't interfering with play, but then rushed past the key incident, checked it, as you say, without drawing the crucial VAR lines. Get your ruler out, man! Had he done so, Norgard would have been ruled offside. The 74th minute goal would have been disallowed. I mean, it's hard to believe and not hard to believe because uh, it's not an isolated incident and wasn't a great day for VAR. When you say it's, you know, when you say not a great weekend for VAR, that's like shocking by its and it's like saying not a great, you know, what an evil act by Vladimir Putin. It, it, VAR uh, also had a problem at the Brighton game, a goal ruled out for offside in a 1-1 draw at Crystal Palace. Purvis, S. Tupinyan put Brighton ahead, only his effort was disallowed, but the VAR drew the offside lines on the incorrect Palace player. That time they did draw the lines at least, Dave. Yeah, they did. They drew a line. As you say, human decision-making is still at the heart with robots, robot and friend, working together to completely make a cock and balls of it. But, David, first of all, for Arsenal fans, Arteta incandescent after the game, Arsenal fans understandably seething. How do you compensate Arsenal for this? I mean, you don't. I mean, it's unfortunately, this is what happens in football. And VAR, there were horrible decisions before VAR. There have been horrible decisions since VAR. I would argue, you know, people will not believe what I'm about to say, but I believe, say it VAR, anyway. I believe VAR has got, has led to more decisions being right in football. The problem is, is that we didn't realise there were so many wrong decisions before because we didn't have lines. <laughs> now we've got lines and we're realising, and on the whole, they get it right. But it's when it gets it wrong, it's so frustrating. I can only imagine I was with an Arsenal fan this weekend and his frustration was he'd gone to, like, boiling point levels. But, you know, this was a game that they had a chance to dominate. They didn't. The title race will not be decided on this game. There's still a long way to go. Uh, but it's been a bad couple of weeks with the loss to your boys uh, last weekend and, and uh, this loss of points against Brentford. But... Unfortunately, this is football and every single team gets horrible decisions against them. I know that this feels just particularly bad because of situationally where we are in the title race. Yeah, you know, referees chief Howard Webb has declared there'll be a meeting of Premier League officials uh -oh. tomorrow. Um, but I'll say at the heart of this problem, as you say, is really the refereeing shortage. You know, the question is, at this point in life, who would want to be a referee in our day and age? when the actual challenge of one human being to govern the whole field is so immense. And when you think about it, all of the names of almost every single referee, not just in the Premier League, but across um, the, the big leagues of Europe, their names are really associated with ridicule at best. You rarely think of a ref in our social media age and think, mm, great decision making. So, And that affects every single level of the game. At the grassroots, there are just fewer and fewer human beings who essentially want to put themselves through that well yeah especially because of television replay rog and like you know we don't spend a lot of time complaining about refereeing in the nfl but you know with about 18 referees on the field and there's all the probably three times that number in the review 
you know, they seem to, to many people's eyes, they blew a call at the end of the Super Bowl last night that was, that was, that was huge. I just think that in this era, perfection in terms of judgment, we see in the NBA all the time, everybody travels and it's not called. We see terrible decisions made late in games in the NBA. It just is, you know, in the modern television age, um, it just is a proper and consistent adjudication is beyond most people, I would imagine. Think about this VAR issue now and VAR losing the credibility it did this weekend, the reputational damage of this weekend and having to essentially through referees and VAR and its line drawing under the bus. That reputational damage is going to be hard and slow to recover. Big point though for Brentford, who didn't even have to unleash Romeo Beckham to grab it. Ten games undefeated. <laughs> Thomas Frank said post-game, we give the players the secret sauce every lunch at the training ground. Oh. Um, they are magnificent. They really are. If Ivan Tony can dodge those gambling charges, what they can be. But for Arsenal, dropping points at home. Yes, even thanks to VAR. Frustrating, disappointing. Squad starting to look a little tired, a little thin. Jesus and Emil Smith-Rowe can't get back quick enough. They're going to splutter into the Manchester City game on Wednesday. Uh, losing that would be three without a win. And we've said all campaign that the outcome of this campaign depends on how they face adversity. We knew they'd experience it. They are, are experiencing it. And David, this morning I spoke to Martin Erdegaard. He's like, that is like 11 out of 10 on the Scando scale. And he said that they're trying to deal with the pressure by reminding themselves that it's them who are top of the table, that it's them who are yet to hit what they believe is their true potential. Wednesday, we'll see how that ball gambit works out for them, David. But for sure, it's going to define the title race. Yes, certainly. They can play considerably better than they did this past weekend against Brentford and last weekend against Everton. And they're going to hope for that midweek against Manchester City. Okay. Godspeed, Arsenal. Price Picks is the best way to get action on sports in more than 30 states across the country, including so many of my favorites, California, Texas, and Georgia. God speed, Georgia. I'm hungry for a dozen lemon pepper wet. But back to Price Picks. We've been hearing from so many WGFOPs who are loving double P, Pablo Picasso, Price Picks, which allows them to win up to 25 times their money for the soccer season, is a reason I do appreciate Price Picks because it's simple. During the Premier League match days, I've got roughly 239 tabs on my computer open as we attempt to work out our social media, the pod rundown, the upcoming interview, you get the drift. But because price picks is easy to play, I'm not having to constantly click to see how my gents are doing or how many certain actions are worth. You just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projected stats and you place your entry. That is how easy it can be. You also mix and match players from several leagues across the globe. Luca De La Torre, I'm looking at you, as well as other sports like basketball oh, and hockey. Oh, the Capitals. Download the app today. Use code MIB for a first deposit match of up to $100. It's promo code MIB. Prize picks. Pick more or pick less. It's that easy. It's Rog here to tell you about a product that I simply adore. It's been a long time staple in the Bennett refrigerator, Stoke 
cold brew coffee always bold always smooth yes that is the very same stoke as in the mighty Wrexham fortress known as the stoke kairas or the stoke Racecourse, Wrexham afc's home they support it they support football which is just one great reason to love this coffee it is my go-to enjoy during the football calendar essentially the opposite of Everton. And you can check out their full lineup of 48 ounce cold brew products, seven for everybody, from light to dark roast to seasonal favourites in a refrigerated multi serve format. I tell you this, as someone whose blood type is now officially Stoke Espresso Blend, have the coffee house experience in the comfort of your own home and do it now. Stoke Cold Brew Coffee and be sure to follow Rexham AFC. Big love to all at Stoke. Courage. Leeds nil, Manchester United two, the second league meeting between these two rivals in just five days. And after playing to a nil-nil draw at Old Trafford midweek, it is United who do the business here after a back alley scrap of the first half in which tackles, many of them American, were flying thick and fast. Marcus Rashford towered above the Leeds defence to score his 13th goal since the World Cup. Second half substitute. Alejandro Garnacho added a second after a not great Western McKenney moment as United closed the gap on Arsenal to just five points. Leeds, Manchester United, two, Electric Boogaloo, the War of the Roses size, had not played in 11 long months, suddenly had two games in five days. First, remember, total chaos. A reflection, perhaps, of the fact that it was the fourth fixture of United's insane eight-game February schedule that includes a Europa clash against Barcelona this week and the Carabao final against Newcastle at the end of the month. No suspended Casemiro again for Ten Hag, who fielded a Fred and Dapper Dan Sabitzer midfield, Freditzer or whatever they call it. The big story, unleash the gimp, Harry Maguire, Back as a symbol of heavy, heavy rotation during this brutal gauntlet of games. Leeds caretaker manager Michael Scubala fielded Weston and Tyler, the American dogs of war. And Tyler set the tempo from the off up, ending Sancho with a real Yorkshire welcome. And then a quite headless Weston went to Malassia. Dave, was he born in Yorkshire, Texas? (laughs) <laughs> Maybe he was uh, born in Yorkshire, Texas. Um, I mean, it was amazing to watch him out there on the field. I mean, we've obviously seen Aronson and Tyler out there, but to see Weston also in that lead shirt, it is just, it's its a thing of wonder. It is an incredible thing. And God, I can't wait to find out which one of them is going to Brad Friedel it first, accent-wise. Who would your money be on? Probably McKenney. I don't know why. I just feel like it's going to be Western. He's going to be giving up the um, he's going to be giving up the Italian hand gestures. He's going to start to do his interviews with the US team. And he's going to open up by being like, "Hey, up, all right, love." <laughs> <laughs> but this was Leeds football forged in the Cobra Kai dojo. GFOP at Jix said it's Super Bowl Sunday, so of course all the big tackles are coming from the Americans. Leeds so up for it. Ellen Road a bear pit chaos again. All over the field, helter-skelter, foul plague stuff, ref playing prison rules, everything was flying around. Like watching that insane power slap show in cleats. And (laughs) chances came, chances missed. And we've got to hit upon it. The Leeds fans start to sing Mason Greenwood, he's scum like you. The United fans countered by reminding Leeds fans exactly where Mason Greenwood's from. He's Yorkshire, like you, they kept singing and then added for good measure so bloody bleakly, Jimmy Savile is one of your own. Look it up. If you don't know oh. what they're referring to, Leeds fans there, and this is all spiraled, started to sing about United's 
Munich air disaster. United fans sang back about Istanbul, a reference to a European game where two Leeds fans were knifed to death. Just Devo, the worst aspect of English football, so rooted in you know terrace, um, you know bants of yore, and both teams had to condemn what occurred before the final whistle with dual statements. But it was. It is dark. And Leeds frenzied. Harry Maguire, often their most creative player. De Gea called up massive when called upon. This would be his 200th clean sheet. United with Veghorst blunting everything. Incredible stat in the last four games before this one. United had scored once with him on the field. 226 minutes (laughs) and five times without him. 89 minutes. It's just amazing. Um, But Ten Hag did something incredible on 61 minutes. He brought on Garnaccio. Didn't take off course, moved him to a number 10, let him play with his back to goal. And aided by the addition of Lissandro Martinez, who's got the passing range to take advantage of a Leeds that was burning itself out on 80 minutes. Sudden manoeuvre, a real quality change the game. Sabitzer swung the ball across the field, found Luke Shaw. He arced the ball in. And Marcus Rashford, it had to be him, didn't it, David? With a header. Yeah, it was, you know, marvellous combination from the two England internationals Rog, you know, Luke Shaw, a professional who's just improved so much fantastic ball in and Rashford with a header that you can't imagine many other players in the Premier League scoring just a brilliant goal, what form he is in, couldn't happen to uh, a greater bloke. Yeah, astonishing power astonishing precision 21st goal of the season, 13 now in his last 15 games all comp since the World Cup. Essentially becoming what we all hoped he would and then feared he would not. He's elite, a striker who is to goal scoring, what Ben Affleck is to meme work. Garnacho killed the game off with a sheer pace after picking up on Western Slop, slashed home, massive win for Manchester United. Moved temporarily second, five points back from Arsenal. Played poorly, but found a way to win. And huge credit to Eric Ten Hag for those tactical adjustments. Another game without Casemiro weathered. Big three points. You always say, playing poorly and winning, sign of a very good team. Yeah, I mean, they were they were in a dogfight until those changes, until those substitutions. Leeds had their own chances. Those changes made all the difference. And just the quality of those players at the end. As you said, Lissandro Martinez, just outstanding you know, the new boy, Sabitzer, that ball to change the uh, play cross field, that cross from Luke Shaw, that finish from Rashford, and then the later goal from Garnacho, who looks like fantastic. Just quality, quality that elevated them in key moments. One United note, English tabloids are pursuing a story that Elon Musk is thinking about bidding for the club. The few sources attached to these stories, very few, um, make it highly doubtful. But Devo. Can you imagine him like walking into the locker room and ordering the players to immediately commit to being extremely hardcore or else leave the company? It's going to be amazing. I don't that would probably work with McTominay. He'd be like, oh, I like this. I'm hardcore. I'll, do, I'll, I'll take this on. He'll um, sell Rashford and Casemiro. Drive the club into League One before you know it. It'll be magnificent. Leeds, though, Dave, talking about real turmoil. Managerless, bereft. You know, I said on AMP how borderline negligent it was that they had no replacement lined up for Jesse Marsh, seeing as he'd essentially been under pressure since October. Everton away next weekend, enormous. Their new manager bounce, looking like a continuation of the old manager. Another pair of games, really, in which the performances warranted more. 
and they ended up with nothing. But that is the story of almost every Premier League club all the time because the competition in this league is so severe. And when you play against the big boys, it's just those quality and key moments from those individual players. Um, and they just got broken down on both of those goals defensively, which is something we've seen uh, we've seen all season and failed to take their chances in big moments, which we've um, which we've seen all season as well. Godspeed. Uh, another surprising outcome: Leicester four, Tottenham one, flying after that massive victory over Man City. Spurs travelled to the Midlands and fell victim to the old Brodge Roper dope. The Foxes <laughs> boss obviously allowed Rodrigo Betancourt to put Spurs ahead in the 14th minute. Oh, so clever, Brodge. But with Spurs feeling a full sense of security, the Brodge and his Gucci belt pounced, pumping four goals past Tottenham. Now unbeaten in three <laughs> and six points clear of the drop. I don't think you can use pumping and Brodge and like still have a PG uh, yeah. 13 rating. But Brendan Rodgers, Brodge the merciless, poor Antonio Conte just returned from having his gallbladder removed. Leicester gave him the footballing equivalent of a good kicking in the abdomen. Conte had reported being told by his doctors to quote, take it easy. David, do you not think telling Conte to take it easy is essentially like telling Hannibal Lecter to, to ease up on the serial killing? <laughs> Just what would taking it easy be for Antonio Conte? I mean, there's nothing. He can't really do a puzzle. He'd get too frustrated. Yeah. It would go all over the place. You can't really imagine him doing a, a four-day darkness retreat or whatever. Uh, I think his whole life is a four-day darkness retreat. I don't know what... <laughs> Maybe he would need to go out and get in a knife fight. That would probably yeah. relax him, calm him you know, down. I, I think taking it easy for, for Conte is having his assistant hold the blue torch to Harry Wink's <laughs> kneecaps at half time. I will not do it myself. Okay, I'm taking it easy. But what unfurled was probably oh, for him to watch more painful than the serious surgery that he just experienced. And it all started so bloody well inside 14 minutes. That old Leicester vulnerability, corners, but that goal merely misdirection. Leicester responded. I mean, Devo, in this one, Leicester were like cocaine bear. <laughs> I mean, Leicester do score amazing goals. Even when they're playing badly, they seem to score more long range, more incredible missiles. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, directly into the situation room. Yeah. They are just. They are the scorer of magnificent goals. If you watch Leicester, you do not need to see Cocaine Bear. You see it every <laughs> single week. They ripped off four goals for the second straight game. Spurs press wilted, backline self-harming, Eric Dyer lost and lonely, debutant Pedro Porro had, as many Spurs fans were joking, his worst ever game in a Spurs jersey. $54 million, high expectations, curse of the Spurs fullback. Lloris injured for six weeks. His replacement, Fraser Forster, had the reflexes of a very, very, very old man. Leicester... <laughs> of a bear not on cocaine. Yeah, yeah, yeah if you're on cokey bear, surging... <laughs> Post-transfer window, Leicester, six points clear of the relegation zone now. But Spurs, Davo, Champions League midweek. They've got to travel to Milan, pick themselves up the floor, find the teeth that Leicester just kicked out, pop them back. Benton Kerr, cruciate damage, out for at least six months. He left the field in tears. All the good vibes of the City triumph last weekend, long burned off. Davo, that was just over a week ago. It feels like it was an eon ago. It's so difficult being a Spurs fan. I can only imagine what's going to. I mean, just the inconsistency week to week, the inconsistency within 
individual games. I mean, at least Chelsea are poor every single week. Tottenham seem to say they, they give you hope the whole time and then they, they take it away. It could be worse. Spurs fans, you could support Everton. Okay, talking of uh, my boys, West Ham won, Chelsea won. A point apiece between the 15-year adjustable rate mortgage that is Todd Burley's Chelsea and the 40-year fixed rate deal that is David Moyes. It was Chelsea who took the lead in the 16th minute via Zhao Felix, who notched his first goal in Chelsea gold, a nice volley, but the bubbles would not Chelsea wilt. Gold. And in the 28th minute, former Chelsea man Emerson popped up at the back post to score his first ever Premier League goal, and it wasn't for Chelsea, and level things up. <laughs> Two flashpoints in the second half involving the excellent uh, Thomas Suchek, who came on as a substitute, who saw a potential winner vard off for offside. And then down the other end, the Czech praying mantis went to ground and blocked Conor Gallagher's shot with his hand, but no handball was given. In the end, it ended 1-1. Game which made Todd Burley put in a $50 million bid for West Ham's bubble machine. <laughs> West Ham <laughs> unbeaten. In oh, no, but it's amortised over multiple years, Rog. On an eight-year deal. Um, West Ham are suddenly unbeaten in three. But Chelsea, in their very fetch sesame gold shirts, may I say, mm. David? Yeah, it was a, it was an odd Chelsea shirt. I like it. Opened like a different creature than the team who'd stumbled and bubbled to that nil-nil draw against Fulham last weekend. They looked, well, first of all, they looked like a team that had trained together just a little bit with their Hello My Name stickers blowing in the wind. Zhao Felix freed from Diego Simeone's cruel restraints. Looked like a joyful little eel wriggling in and out of space. West Ham totally confused by his movement. Times, Chelsea looked like a team of Timo Werners. They scored goal after goal from offside position. Getting in behind a static West Ham back four with angle ball after angle ball. But then, 16th minute, Mudrick winning the ball, Enzo floating across a poem, and Zhao timing his run to perfection, finishing with delightful venom, his first ever Premier League goal. Davo, were we watching a goal carved solely out of Todd Burley's wet dreams? Well, it cost as about as much as um, one of Todd Burley's wet dreams, <laughs> Roger. It was, it, was, it, it was a very, very expensive goal. Enzo, that ball was just beautiful. Um, but this was Zhao's best moment. Yeah, Chelsea, honestly, well, that possession and that West Ham bat line, they could have put the game away, but lacked the ability, ruthlessness really, to do so. And it was some shot when West Ham dragged themselves off the canvas. Bowen flicking it on uh, with his bangs. And Emerson, Chelsea old boy, just sold this summer, swooped in to scuff home a finish. David, we always say, spite scoring, the most satisfying scoring? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know how much spite Emerson has towards Chelsea. He seemed to collect pretty large checks and didn't have to do a lot over his uh, multiple years at the club. Um, but yeah, it was a, it was nice to see a, a you know, player who's played fantastically for Italy, never played particularly well for Chelsea, and um, you know, scoring his first Premier League goal for West Ham. And Chelsea, meanwhile, Rog, just looking like... They look like an international side who've just met up with a brand new squad rebuilding after everything's falling apart, getting ready to play in some sort of, you know, sub-level tournament. They barely seem to know who each other are. A lot of possession without menace, would you say? A lot of, no guile ultimately to break a deep-sitting West Ham down. It felt a bit, uh, just felt a bit, you know, Todd Burley's new toys, all of it burnt off, all that joy by the hour mark. Yeah, it has as much expression as a spreadsheet, Rog. It was just awful, 
it was just pointless football a lot of the time, pointless possession, um, no intent to really score from many of their moves. It just was very, very poor. Um, but we're getting used to this from Chelsea. At least they're defensively okay. But that's yeah. about all I can say about Bite Chelsea Bite your arm right off now. for all of that. Suchek thought he'd scored the winner, but it was Vard off. Bubbles of joy turned to bubbles of soapy sadness. And then he, I don't know what happened there. It was like watching a Czech Dikembe Mutombo, the way he just like, he went to ground so he could block the shot. I mean, ref was fooled by some dark arts from a pro there. I think the commentator shouted, great save from Suchek. It was just a moment that left Chelsea fans with an incident to seize over. Um, I mean, VAR should have helped here. Big picture. I mean, you should be seething at your inability to finish, but it was a pretty ridiculous, I mean, a truly ridiculous moment of decision-making, right, by the officials. Unfortunately, you see this precedent, which is that they allow you to get your hand on the ground when you're blocking your own fall. But when you fall like that, in order to literally save a ball with your hand, it's a, it seems to be a different thing. But anyway, um, in a, in a weekend of even worse far decisions, it's tough for Chelsea fans to get too upset over that on a game that they should have found a way to win anyway. Big point for West Ham. Moyes quick to point out his team have been denied by VAR, which ruled off a Maxwell Corner equaliser back in mm-hmm. September against Chelsea. His hammers and beaten in three. Chelsea third draw on the run, just two wins in their last 13. Eight goals along that way. Ten points off the Champions League. Still briefing the press that Graham Potter's job is safe. But one last Chelsea note, Polisic. It appears is now for sale. Part of Chelsea's future summer exodus plans. Kid is still just 24. It's hard to believe. Part of the summer clear out. His name in there was Ziyech and Lukaku. Devo, I feel for that gent having to watch all the new bodies come in while injured. Where do you think our print should go? Well, look, let's face it. Christian has been for sale for the last few transfer windows, but he has a very high salary almost certainly does not want to take a cut in salary to go to another team. And the teams that have come in for him have not been the teams they've wanted or they've come in with loan deals for teams who don't want to pay his full salary. So I don't think he's going to have an infinite choice of clubs. I hate to break this to you. I don't think he's going to have every choice. I think he's going to have to have a hard choice either where he goes to play football or what he's going to do about his salary. And unfortunately, being injured during this transfer window where... Probably Chelsea would have cooperated with the club who wanted to come in for him um, was uh, not good for him ultimately. GFOP at Gerard Walker tweeted, Todd Burley's going to see that Christian Pulisic's for sale this summer and make an audacious bid. <laughs> I could see him doing it, selling him and then buying him back for three times the amount and marvelling at his good business. It is tough though. Burley is having to now sell some players, but it doesn't seem what you really want to do is announce that eight players are for sale now and that you're desperate for the cash. It doesn't, oh, just based dead on the supply-demand rules. Who wants rules. to buy my dead ward? <laughs> this is not the way to command uh, the best money. Say what you want about Roman Abramovich, but he did good business. He sold players. He spent a lot of money, but he sold. He did great business, Rog. He sold players for a lot also. Burley doesn't seem to have mastered. doesn't seem to be quite as interested in the selling side. (laughs) 
Uh, okay, this was a great game. Bournemouth won, Newcastle won. Eddie Howe uh, ventured outside of his palatial North estate to return to his first quaint managerial apartment, but it wasn't the return Eddie was hoping for. The Cherries actually took the lead when big Argentine centre-half uh, Marcos Sanessi swept in at the back stick to turn in a flicked on corner. But just before half-time, the tune hit back through, who else, Mickey Almiron, who resisted the urge to just lash a rebound into the South Coast night and instead side-footed it calmly home. Newcastle stay in fourth place. Bournemouth are still in the drop zone, but now just a point from safety. High stakes at both ends of the table in this one. Stealth biggest American clash of the weekend. The CEOs of both clubs, Newcastle CEO, our mate Darren Eels, ex-Atlanta United president, facing up to Bournemouth president Jim Frivola, ex-Tampa Bay Lightning, Golden Knights chief commercial officer, now duking it out at the Vitality Stadium. Look at us, I'm sure they said to each other. Newcastle handed a gift by Spurs earlier implosion. Bournemouth entered on a run of five losses in the last six. But any alien... Stepping off a UFO, say, in Montana and rolling up at the Vitality Stadium <laughs> would never have known by watching these two teams at Newcastle were the big one. Newcastle out of sorts for the first 40 minutes, missing their suspended Bruno, looking dead-legged. The Cherries made them pay. 30 minutes on, a flick on from a corner. Senesi, oh, the big Argentinian unit charged into Poco. First time Newcastle's vaunted defence had conceded the lead in 14 games, which is incredible. That was also against Bournemouth, by the way, at St. James's Park. Uh, and that one also ended 1-1. On the stroke of half-time, though, Newcastle flickered back to life. Alain Saint-Maximin picked out a long staff run, parried by Neto, slot picked up by Miggy, who resisted the temptation to blast it. Super intelligent finish, this actually, placing the ball into the spot where gravity would prevent the recovering defenders from blocking it. Davo Almiron. Every time he scores, an angel gets some tam or gam. <laughs> His incredible 10th goal of the season. First since Boxing Day. Doesn't the world feel better when our mate is scoring and smiling? It really does. And his celebrations are just so beautiful and heartfelt and authentic. I love everything about it. Beloved by his teammates, beloved by the fans. And even playing in the uh, Saudi Arabia uh, awake it. It is still uh, a joy to watch him play football. It's just the coincidence, mate. Bournemouth, got to credit them, organised, disciplined, highly motivated, delighted in seizing their moment, soaked up the pressure, broke through, at the death, only an incredibly cool-headed goal-line clearance sequence from Trippier kept things level, dropped points for Newcastle, two points above fifth place Tottenham, with a game in hand. Honestly, lucky to take anything out of this one in the end. But the good news, as they prepare to face Liverpool next weekend, their unbeaten run continues. Five draws in six games makes that feel and look a little different. The squad shattered, thin. Carabao Cup coming up. Tricky games also against Liverpool and Manchester City. But a lovely moment, Davo. Eddie Howe at the final whistle, walking around all four sides of that tiny ground as Bournemouth and Newcastle fans united to serenade him. Lovely to see him return to a place. I think he spent 11 seasons over two spells, brought them from the lowest levels into the Premier League. And even though he's turned to the dark side of the Saudi investment, like some footballing Anakin Skywalker, it was said you would destroy the Magpies, not join them. He remains the man who led the Cherries all that way to glory from a pure football perspective, Davo. A nice man, right? He's impacted the fortunes of both clubs. Yeah, very nice man. And um, it's good in football to see someone return to the place where they 
managed and be welcomed. It's always something uh, I enjoy. It's it's a very rare occurrence. It's a very tough uh, needle to thread. What it's going to be like for Jesse Marsh when he returns to lead with mm, Southampton. It's going to yeah. be magnificent. Maybe. Uh, Crystal Palace won. Brighton won. Eagles versus Seagulls in one of the Premier League's most confounding rivalries. And the visitors will be heartbroken to drop <laughs> points in this one. They took the lead via Jesse Marsh's English cousin, Solly, who crashed the back post to hit home in the 63rd minute. He's all of a sudden playing like he's Lionel Messi. But just six minutes later, Seagulls goalkeeper Robert stepped in a huge pile of Sanchez and dropped an Elise fly ball right at the feet of Jimmy Tompkins who headed into an empty net. And then he pulled the badge on his shirt, but he was like about a foot away from where the badge is. He's so unaccustomed to scoring. <laughs> That's how this one ends. Brighton still in sixth place, just four points off Spurs in fifth. Mods v Rockers Derby. Sean the Chris Richards out with a back injury. Solly Marsh, fifth goal in seven games, David. Yeah, would have loved this one too. Former Palace trainee. Brighton's incredible 30-second goal scored in the Premier League in open play. Only Arsenal and City have more. Lovely to witness Caicedo back. I'm sure it's slightly surreal for Brighton fans since that transfer saga. Mm. Brighton, though, have not beaten Palace since 2019. And this one became the fourth successive 1-1 draw. Thanks to Sanchez's howler, flailing at a routine cross. James Tonkin's rare start. Rarer goal. You've got the referees blown far, which added just a level of excruciation from a Brighton perspective, as did the McAllister agonising late header at the death. Uh, but what I love, despite it, David, there was no negativity from De Zerbi. There was no anger. He just smiled at the camera, said, we are frustrated, but at the same time, we have to be proud. We are playing fantastic football. Other managers, I'd just say, chasing Europe against all odds like Brighton would not be so generous. Brighton, very, very impressive performance in this game. I'm not quite sure how they didn't win it. Another uh, one of the low-key stories of the season, though, Rog, as you mentioned, Fulham, uh, they beat Nottingham Forest 2-0. And the first goal in this one, Rog, a 17th-minute absolute postage stamp stonker from a young, up-and-coming Brazilian named Willian. What a goal. Manor, Solomon added some insurance on 88 minutes. And the Cottagers are 7th. Rog, level on points with Brighton. That's another massive result for your old mate, Marco Silva. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, we should say Forrest came into this one very five-match unbeaten streak, but on this dark day, they lost both centre-halves to injury within seven minutes, never recovered. Fulham dominant, hungry, brilliant. That Willie Angle, he's 34 years of age, Davo. That, that shimmy, shimmy shake, that joy, thrashing the ball home with pinpoint accuracy, took out like five defenders, as he did so. Manor Solomon, Israeli international, first ever goal for the club. Fulham even hit the post, I think, three times, strolled to their first winner four. It is incredible, Davo, what Marco Silva's done. Tim Ream, suddenly just liquid football, just unleashing crossovers, um, at an Allen Iverson level, took out Brennan Johnson. I mean, just good and proper. He's like Rimaldinho. Um, you know how the PFA gives out Young Players of the Year awards, don't yeah. you? Why is there no Old Player of the Year award? Are we ageist? Yeah, absolutely we're ageist. I think that's a really good idea. The player who's still doing it late on in his career. And Willian... I think there may be some arbitrage here. I almost don't want to hear this just in case Todd Burley... I don't want to say it just in case Todd Burley is listening. But there's probably some arbitrage because when an older player loses form, as Willian did when he went to Arsenal, yeah. um, we 
believe, oh, it's just because they're old, they're past it, they've lost it now. But maybe he just was going through a lack of form that had nothing to do with his age. It just was had a moment after years of consistent and brilliant play. He just lost form a little bit. Uh, it's nothing to do with his age because he's clearly back on form right now and he's fantastic. It was even worse when he went to Brazil. He disappeared. He's You are not meant to come back from where William went to. But watching him score that goal, that shuffle, that hustle, those moves, it was like watching... They was like, dance, Billy, dance. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he always had amazing feet. Uh, wonderful player, Rog. Old Player of the Year award. Make it happen. I love that. Maybe we should do that. Southampton won, Wolves two. The Saints actually shot out in front in this one and then looked to have gained another advantage when Mario Lamina was sent off for his second yellow card. And still... They capitulated twice down the home stretch. Once via a Jan Bednarek comedy own goal. And the winner, a Zhao Gomez debut goal. And with that, the technical area holds steady song Nathan Jones. He was sacked. <laughs> and the Saints are looking for someone new to lead the flock, Roger. Oh, yes. We were just saying, you knew Nathan Jones was done when before the game flailing his team, he just looked into the camera and said, I've compromised on my principles. And I will compromise no more. Um, it, it could not have gone worse. Wolves reduced to 10 men in the 27 minute, which Nathan Jones after the game said was the, the worst thing that could have happened yeah. to his team. You knew he was effed in that moment. Double yellows for Lamina on his return to Southampton. Classily didn't celebrate the red against his old club. Um, Alcaraz, fine finish on his first start. Seemed to have eased like a few Newton per square metre of pressure on old Nathan Jones. But then Bednarek, my God, started the Wolves comeback with a fine, fine finish of an own goal. If you've not seen it, just find it. It's like It was like seeing a human who'd been mated with a baby giraffe, the way he pivoted his body um, and then got his foot around the ball. It was like he was struggling to make sure that he, he cleared that ball into his own net. His fourth Premier yeah. League own goal. I mean, you've got to work at a record like that, don't you? Joint third all time. Put yourself in positions to score, right? Where lesser defenders just don't see them. I did imagine Phil Jones watching that on yeah. match of the day and yeah. thinking, respect. Yeah, Phil was like, oh, a dude scores own goals for a living, respect. You know, probably, get, I bet you Benderek's like, I can't believe I get paid to do the thing I love, scoring goals. And he clearly proper hates Nathan Jones. Wolves come back completed late. Zhao Gomez, young Brazilian who come on as a sub, scored his first for the club, right from Flamengo, opened up his body beautifully, propelled the ball, top bins. Dave, the low-tone Saints, ninth defeat in the last 10 games. God, Ralph Hassenhull, we didn't realise how great you truly were. I watched them. Can't believe Everton lost to them. That was Nathan Jones' only win. They are so feeble. After the game, Jones sacked seven Premier League defeats, eight matches, his legacy, 94 days in charge. Guy was given a three-and-a-half-year contract. <laughs> he only had to do three months. It's essentially Welsh Bob Bradley. Um, great stat from Rich Jolly. 11 Premier League managers have got at least one point at St. Mary's this season. Nathan Jones is not one of them. Yeah, can I just quickly say that I knew it was over for Nathan Jones yeah. when, uh, <laughs> when uh, after the second uh, Wolves goal, when I love that, arrived from Flamenco. <laughs> who, wouldn't, who wouldn't want to have arrived from Flamenco said about them? But he pulled his Adirak. He zipped his anorak up and then pulled it all the way over his head it just was like it was the greatest move who hasn't had that moment when you've done that in your life it was so good he is the kind of guy that would be like do i get to keep the uh, do i get to keep the chaining gear or do i have to give it back 
Yeah, keep it right. I can keep yeah. it. It's got my, it's got my initials yeah, NJ, on. I NJ. Show, yeah, I can always show that. Always show the lads. You know, we're going to sign Nikola Jovic as our next manager. <laughs> Leave it where this is. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the, can I read you the next Southampton yeah, manager? Are you ready for this? Stephen yeah. Gerrard, three to one. Make it happen, please, Lord. Yeah. David, four to one. Jesse Marsh. Yeah. Interesting. He is risen. There's a good young effervescent squad there. Players like Romeo Lavia, new manager, just needs to find that peak Hassan Huttle era instruction manual. Godspeed, yeah. Saints fans. I love it. If Jesse Marsh goes, there are all those Leeds fans who have to go to Southampton. It's going to be so confusing for American GFOPs. Oh my uh, it's going God, to be difficult. amazing. It's going to be difficult. We're going to be covering Southampton games at length in every show. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, in a game that kicks off this afternoon and will likely be wrapping up right about the time oh. this podcast is released, one that is guaranteed to leave uh, you in tears, Roger, whether they be of despair or of happiness, can't wait uh, to hear about the Bennett family group chat. Liverpool versus Everton. How are you feeling about it right now, Roger? This feels pretty bleak, Dave. You know, oh. Liverpool just, I mean, this honestly feels like a crossover of like the Merseyside derby, the epic achievement and celebrity rehab. You know, it was like Everton are not even not pretending to be the worst run club in the world anymore. And Host Liverpool, rock bottom of the 2023 form table. Just one point in the last four games. And you know, my brother's like, it feels so weird that it doesn't even matter. We are so bad. There's just no consequence for, for anything. It just feels like a nothing of a game. That is a dead rubber uh, for Liverpool and just a desperate existential nightmare uh, for Everton. And the insane part of football is... We are terrible. Our season has been one in which we have soiled our pants early and often and had to sit in it. Soiled undies. We've all been there for over half a season. But then one game, one game under Sean Dyche, Dave, one win. <laughs> and we're like, suddenly we're all surging. We're like really up for the fight. That's all it took, Dave. Sean Dyche and his war on snoods were like, let's do this. But it makes no sense. Yeah, I did think this uh, exactly the same thing last week when you got a little bit overexcited about Sean Dyche and all the new momentum you had as a club. And I was happy for you. So I didn't want to... I didn't want to rain on your parade, but yeah, it, it, it everybody did get a little bit overexcited. It's crazy. It's good. By the way, the, the, the war on Snood story is amazing. Sean Deutsch believes his team should train as they play. Even though it's freezing, he makes his players train both full contact. You train as you play, <laughs> full contact. I'm going to come over here. Tom Davis, let me punch you in the mouth, you little bastard. And, you know, and he also wants them to wear exactly what they play in. So no warm sweat gear to protect themselves against the Merseyside rain and misery. <laughs> team socks, shin pads, and the Everton kit man had to make a mad dash to Sports Direct. It's essentially like a truly crappy dick sporting goods to buy blue socks. They didn't have any in there, so we came back with hundreds of pairs of black socks. And that is where we are. It's like Sean Dyche, no snoods, no sweatshirts, black socks only, worst run club in the world. Here's the stat for tonight, Dave. Liverpool <laughs> have lost just one of the past 20 side Merseyside derbies. My children have seen one victory in their lifetimes. It's staggering. What an awful parent I am. Um, and then right at the final whistle, I've got to go and tape an episode of European Nights with Rory Smith. Massive, massive red. Then head right out for dinner with the two Robbies, who will be no doubt completely gloating. The Bennett WhatsApp popping off into the wee hours of the night. I see a darkness, David. I think I'm going to end this one looking a bit like Nick Sirianni during the national anthem. Yeah. 
That's too much. You can just sort of really feel the headline coming, Rog. Entire Everton squad comes down with the flu uh, after training in the cold. And uh, who saw that one coming? Softies, says Sean Dyche. Uh, you can really see it. Uh, before we go, Rog, a quick reminder about everything that we've got happening at Men and Blazers this week. European Nights, as you mentioned, presented by Paramount Plus, returns to the pod feed tomorrow, Wednesday. You'll do it live on AMP after that massive City-Arsenal uh, clash. Come and ask your questions, GFOPs. The link is all over our social media. And Thursday, it's a new edition of American States United. Uh, wow, so much American action going on across Europe. Presented by ESPN Plus with Daryl DK. Watch that pod feed, GFOPs. So much happening. Can we get a twist to finish us off, Rogelio? I want to raise the shot of Jägermeister, this bolt of human emotion in a shot glass to Dio Upamecano, who has talked this week um, about how he's an elite footballer now, but as a kid, he was mocked, derided by his schoolmates. He had a terrible, terrible stammer. Uh, he only felt like he escaped it on the football field. But such as his dedication to his craft as he rose and became an elite force in world football that he started to work with an opera singer so he could improve his vocal abilities. Uh, his technique was wrong, he said. You know, I needed to be able to shout loudly on the pitch. Derek Ray actually tweeted a little bit about this, about how Upin Mercado would often have a sore throat and would be hoarse, but he had voice coaching so he could truly find his voice, truly be heard, truly lead. Um, and I love this story, the operatic nature of it, the ability to rise over challenges, the, to become elite but still not be satisfied, to seek attention to every detail of your craft, be truly the best version of yourself. May we all work on our weaknesses like Upa Makano. Big, big love to him. Courage. You can follow us on Twitter at Men and Blazers at Embassy Davis at Roger Bennett on Instagram at Men and Blazers at Embassy Davis on Facebook where Men and Blazers on Twitch, twitch.tv forward slash Men and Blazers. We're on YouTube uh, where you can see a video version of our podcast and later this week interviews with Martin Odegaard as you mentioned and Daryl DK as you mentioned and TikTok where we have a great new video of Tyler Adams tackling Jaden Sancho. <laughs> Be sure to head to Men in Blazers on TikTok and check it out and you can always email us at meninblazers at gmail.com. Vendapunk Rog. War pig! Was that a Rabona? I like snacks. Balls win, balls win. Take that, Gloria. Uh, balls lose. To tweed. Abrogado, rock on, mate. Kung Fu fight in America. Love you, Davo. Love you, Rog. Pray for Everton. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to Men in Blazers ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com slash survey. Yo, Trey. Yeah, Kevin, what's up, man? I was just thinking, what would have happened if Drew Brees didn't fail his physical with the Dolphins and ended up playing under Nick Saban in Miami? There's a good shot the Finns establish a dynasty. Tom Brady and Bill Belichick probably don't become goats, and Tuscaloosa doesn't become the center of the college football universe. That's a butterfly effect for real. Hey, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier. We're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Intercepted at the goal line by Malcolm Butler. Sorry, Marshawn, still too soon. Man. 
Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.